It is good to see a lot of you I haven't seen in a long time, and our other visitors, so good to have you with us. Uh, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, so I'm going to continue in there this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 6. I kind of skipped over the Lord's Prayer for a reason, kind of on purpose, because it's interesting to me, kind of sandwiched in between Jesus' teaching is a prayer to me that really fulfills what he is trying to teach us in these verses. So that's why I kind of left it for the end here. Uh, there's another recording of this prayer in Luke, 1, Luke 11, verse 1. And I want to read it because this is a little more of an intimate setting where the disciples are asking Jesus. It goes like this in Luke 11, 1. It says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. So they're watching Jesus. And they've seen him, you know, go out at night. It says he would go out all night and pray. He would go off early in the morning and pray. And they're, they're watching Jesus have communion with the Father. And something in them is saying, I want that. I don't know what's exactly going on there, but I want to know what's going on. I want to know how to converse with my heavenly father in that way. So they ask him a question. It says when he, when he had ceased, one of his disciples came and he said, Lord, teach us to pray like that. Teach us to pray as John also toward his disciples. So that's what I'm going to call today. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. There's nothing that tells the truth about our Christian walk than our prayer life. Everything we do, everything else we do in the Christian life is so much easier than prayer. It's easy to serve. It's easy to, you know, bring a bucket of water to someone. It's easier to teach maybe a Sunday class. It's easier to go over and plant a garden. Now, I say all that, not that we shouldn't do those things. It's such a blessing, and we need to be hands and feet, and we need to be out there serving others. But really, our prayer life is going to determine how we really live the Christian life. Because the Christian life isn't just about doing. We can't earn our way into the kingdom of God. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing him. So prayer is about knowing him and having a relationship. And that's really the whole Sermon on the Mount is teaching us. He's trying to help people that are into doing things. And he's teaching them it's about a relationship. It's about what's going on inside, in your heart, with God. And the fellowship he wants to have with you. It's not about religion and doing a set of rules. It's about communion and fellowship with God. And when Jesus taught them how to pray, he really was living it out before them. I thought about that as I meditated and prayed over this. It's like, Jesus, you lived out that prayer right in front of them and right before our eyes in the Gospels. 
you showed us what that prayer looks like when it's affecting somebody's life. How they live, what they focus on, how they respond in situations, and what their goal end of their life is, which really is to glorify Him. That's Jesus' goal was to glorify the Father. That was His prayer. Father, I've done your will. I've glorified your name in the earth. That's what God is calling us now as his people. That's why this is so important to honor him, to honor his word, to know what it means to truly be in a relationship and to live my life in such a way it would glorify him in the earth. That's what this prayer teaches us. So as we look at the Lord's prayer, you know, I grew up in a religion that taught us to recite that. I'd go in for confession and, you know, because I cursed at my sister, he would tell me, okay, go say five our fathers. And I'd just recite it. It meant absolutely nothing. And so that's why kind of in my heart I was kind of like, oh, yeah, the Lord's Prayer, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll just kind of. But when you, like, really dig in there and really meditate and study it and just spend hours and hours and hours just, Lord, what, what are you saying here? It's deep. So I don't have time today to like cover every single thing on this. Hopefully I'm going to share with you what God wants us to hear today. And so I'm going to pray before we get into this prayer. Um, and Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us, Lord, to live in the reality of our Heavenly Father the way you did. Teach us, Lord, that sweet fellowship and communion that you had with the Father, Lord. Draw us, create a hunger in us for that deeper place of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Teach us, Lord. We don't understand things the way we should. We don't see things right so much of the time. We need you, Lord, to instruct us. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that reveals that truth, that opens up our understanding so we can know you. And I pray you'll do that for us this morning. I pray you'll open up our understanding, open up our hearts. Let your word, Lord, produce in us what you desire it to produce in us. So we come humbly in meekness to your word, which is able to save our souls. Help us to take heed how we hear today. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So back here in Matthew 6, I'm going to read from there. After, again, he's instructing them on prayer. He says, so in this manner, pray. And he really said the same thing to his disciples over in Luke. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So he begins with our Father in heaven. And immediately I thought, why didn't he say my Father? He's teaching us to pray. So if I'm alone and I'm praying, what am I going to say? My Father. But he says our Father for a reason. He wants us to understand we have the same Father. If we are truly His, the same Father He's praying to, the same Father He's walking in communion with, the same Father that they're looking at His relationship with is their Father as well. And we got to understand not everyone can say that. And, and that the world has kind of given us this universal concept, you know, that, oh, we're all children of God, you know, and that's just not true. That's not scriptural. Yeah, we're all offspring, but what Jesus is talking about here, we're told in John eight forty four 44, uh, that only those who truly can say that Jesus Christ is Lord can say, our Father. And Jesus in John 8 44, dealing with religious people, he, he says to them, listen to this. You know, we get all uptight, like by things people say or, or it comes off hard or whatever. And, and remember, I told you a few weeks ago, Jesus said some tough things, some hard sayings. So he's talking to the religious leaders of his day and he says to them, You're of your father, the devil. Because they're saying, God is our father. Abraham's our father. He says, no, no, no. You're of your father, the devil, because it's his deeds you want to do. So there is a distinction made there. They were of their father, the devil. Not the children of Abraham, not the children of God. He says, to as many as receive him, he gives the right to become sons of God, to as many as received Jesus. And that just mean I prayed a prayer one time in my life. It means I took his life. That's what Jesus meant. Unless you eat and drink of my blood, blood, you have no life in you. In other words, I've replaced your life. You've taken me fully into your life. You've let go of your life. You lost your life. And you've allowed me to come in and rule and reign in your heart. That's what it means to put our faith in him. The devils believe in Jesus. Not anyone can say that. So the ultimate test of every man's profession is that he can say with confidence and assurance, My Father, our Father in heaven. Is God your Father this morning? Do you really know Him as your Father? That's the way to start. Realize you're a child of God because of what He's done for you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then He goes on now, and uh, these two phrases should always be taken together. And you're going to see why. He says, our Father in heaven. Why does he say that? 
because he wants us to understand who we're actually talking about. A lot of us, right, might not have a good concept of a father, either because of our experience with a father or lack of experience with a father. And, you know, the human mind, the way it works is we know things by comparing them. That's how we operate. But you can't do that with God. So Jesus is making a distinction here. He's saying, when you pray, understand you're praying to your Father in heaven. It's not the Father you've made up in your mind or the Father you've experienced. It's your Father in heaven. Isaiah 40:18 says, Who will you liken to God? What likeness will you compare to Him? And our, our human notions of the Father and God and Jesus so many times need correction. It's like Rose was praying earlier. We, we, our hearts are just so self-deceived sometimes. Our minds, when we're not renewing them in the Word of God, come up with its own deductions and conclusions about things that a lot of times don't line up with the Scriptures. That's why we need to re- be renewing our minds daily. So we need this constant correction of our view of God, because we don't see Him right. But yet we have the Word of God that reveals Him to us. And I know you guys hear this all the time, but you need to be in this every day, washing your mind, renewing your mind, letting you see like God sees. So important, especially now in our day. So important. So when we pray, we call Him our Father. We need to remind ourselves. He is our Father, which is in heaven. We need to remind ourselves of his majesty, of his greatness, of his power, like we were singing about today. His holiness, his justice, his righteousness. That we are becoming before an almighty, eternal being who created the world, who upholds them by the power of his hand. That's who our father is. Again, who can you liken him to? And he knows you. Even though he's, there's not even a right word for it, big God, huge God. You know, how do you describe him? He knows you and he's extremely concerned with the minutest details of your life. And Jesus bears that out in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, are you much more? than the birds and the flowers of the field. He knows everything. He's so involved in your life more than you understand. Although he's God, the way he describes himself, and that could, should cause something to arise in our hearts. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. You understand? Look how he's starting the prayer. Who's it all about? God. This is so important for us. Get him in your sights first before you do anything. Get the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God, the reality of who he is to you in your sights. When you do, your desire will be hallowed be thy name. And that word means to sanctify, to revere, to make, to keep holy. That's what drives a true believer. 
That's what drives why we do what we had to do today. We want God's name honored. We want to revere him. We want to honor the blood that his son shed for us. We don't want to ever make that a common thing and trample on the grace of God. Hallowed be your name, Lord. And Jesus did that in his life. He held the Father's name in that place of holiness and honor that it deserves. You know, the Jews in the Old Testament, you know, we kind of give them a bad rap. They, they kind of blew it a lot. They got one thing right. They revered the name of God. They wouldn't even speak the name Jehovah. They thought that this frail, dust, nothing has no place even speaking his name. And then you think about today how flippantly we throw the name of God around. We bring him down to our level. So they had that going for them. And we need to understand when it talks about your name, it's not like, you know, I know Adam by Adam. It's really Atom, but I never say it right. I know my sister by Denise. I know my wife. Her name is Rose. They got one name. God's got a lot of names. And they all describe Elohim, the God of strength and power and dominion. Jehovah, the self-existent one. That's when he spoke. I am that I am. Jehovah. And with that, we have Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord will that healeth. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our battle, the one who fights our battles. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Jehovah Ra, the Lord, our shepherd. Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Shama, he's present. He's here. There should be a sense in our hearts. I know it is for me. Especially during worship where I just want to take my shoes off. I'm on, I'm on holy ground. We've made church, a lot of it, into a circus. And a place of entertainment. There is something about coming into the house of God and understanding. You know, it's not about a place. We want to be careful. But where God is, it's holy. And there's something about reverencing him when we gather together and, and it, honoring him. Jesus is teaching us here to pray in a way that the world would come to know God in this way. The world that trashes his name, belittles it, mocks it. Jesus' prayer is that his name would be hallowed in the earth. It's an expression. It's a deep desire for God's glory. That should be in our hearts. Because just as Jesus said, 
I have glorified thee, Father, on the earth. I've manifested your name. I express you to the world, your names, which you gave me. We can also magnify the name of God in our lives. That's why we're here. That's what it means to let our light shine. It's not our light. It's his light. It's a reflection of who he is in the earth. So, Father, hallowed be thy name. And then let your kingdom come. Why isn't every person right now just falling on their face, humbling themselves and bowing and acknowledging their creator? Why isn't that happening? Because there's another kingdom reigning. There's a kingdom of darkness that you and I were part of at one time. There's a spirit, there's a God of this age that's in control. That's what's happening. And he's working out his plan, even though it's God's plan, because God is ultimately in control. You understand that, right? Devil's not in control. He thinks he is. That's the insanity of pride. And the devil is insane, just like I am without God. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? Lord, you reign. Let your reign come to come through him. Through his authority over demons and sickness. He said, the kingdom of God is here. You're seeing it in me. Then those who believed in him, the kingdom of God comes within. So the kingdom of God is here within us. But what does that mean for us? It means he's ruling and reigning just like he is in heaven. That's what it means. But the day is coming, hallelujah, when his kingdom is going to be established on the earth. The whole message of the Bible looks forward to that. That should be our desire. I know it's mine. I'm groaning with the creation right now. When, Lord? That should be our desire, that the kingdom of God would come in the hearts of men and women who are still under the power of the kingdom of darkness. That should be one cry. Thy kingdom come. Lord, let your gospel go forth in power. God, bring many souls from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But then in 2 Peter 3, we see it goes so much further than that. Lord, we're looking for, we're hastening that day when you establish your kingdom. We should be anticipating that day when all sin, when all evil, all wrong, everything that is opposed to God will finally be thrown into the lake of fire. And God's kingdom is established. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And really, it's a logical kind of consequence to God's will being done as it is in heaven. In heaven, again, the will of God is always being done perfectly. Think about it. God is the center of heaven. Everything is focused on him. 
Everything bows before Him. All the worship, all the adoration, it's all about Him. This should be our desire. Personally, it's our desire, obviously, here when we join together. Paul, I love the Apostle Paul. I want to just shake his hand when I see him and say, Thank you, brother. You were such an example to me. He's like, You know, when I'm here with you, I'm in fear and trembling. I understand I'm, I'm trying to represent a God to you that I can't even fathom in my mind. And the thought of misrepresenting you, him or saying something that would not line up or would misrepresent him to you. I stand in fear and trembling of that. So I don't want to come to you with the wisdom of men with jokes and this and that. I want to come to you. Because I'm in a relationship with him, because we talk to one another like Jesus did, I can share with you from his heart in the power of God so you won't see a man, you won't see a place. But God will get all the glory and your faith will be in him and not in man. And we should be always pointing people to him. Matthew 27, 35 says, As they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, it says, This was done that it might be fulfilled, that the scripture might be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what was happening. When Jesus was here, how many times it says that? It was done. It was said. This happened so that the scriptures can be fulfilled. What God had spoken. That gives me confidence. That tells me. I can say, God, you said. It doesn't matter what I'm reading in the news. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You said it would be this way, but you also said. You were going to. Establish your kingdom and do away with it all. And that this light affliction, it's but a moment compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And God, I choose to believe what you said because you're faithful. On earth as it is in heaven. Our sole purpose as was Jesus, should be to live a completely surrendered life. So that all the scriptures that apply to us, we could say, as you have said, Lord, it's done in earth through my life. God's word being fulfilled in my life, in the earth, in your life, in the earth, that glorifies him. We can pray what he has already declared, knowing he hears us. That's, you can take comfort in that. So now we have a shift in the prayer, and it goes more to us. But really, even though it's about us, it's really for others. Give us this day our daily bread, Father. 
this can represent physical or spiritual needs. You can apply both here. Heavenly Father, you are my daily portion. You are what I need, Lord. You are my provider. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry about anything. Give me what I need today for myself and for others. Last week, we looked at that teaching, right? Where Jesus said, don't, don't worry about your life. Don't worry. Don't say, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What's going to happen tomorrow? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. But in Luke 11, in that place where he's more intimately sharing with his disciples, we see that he means something else here. Because he gives an example right afterwards what we're asking for. He says in Luke eleven five, this is right after the prayer, he says, And he said to them, Which of you will have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. I need bread. A friend of mine has come. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer and say, don't trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot rise to give to you. I will say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, though he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, and we know the example he gives there, ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open. Everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God, I don't have what I need. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to to share you with others, Lord. I don't know how to love my wife. I don't know how to train up my children. Whatever it is, God, I need your Holy Spirit. God, I need your help today. Give me my daily bread, Lord. You have what I need. I thank you, Lord. When I'm weak, you're strong. I thank you, God. Your grace is sufficient. Therefore, I'll boast in my infirmities. I'll boast in my lack. Because you have what I need today. Give me this day my daily bread. And then forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. This is important. And Jesus really modeled this for us on the cross. When he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now Jesus didn't need forgiveness but he did identify with sinners. He was willing to become guilty. How many times we're so unwilling to be guilty when we are. And although we've repented maybe at one time in our life, this should be a daily occurrence. Father, forgive me. I had a wicked thought. Oh, forgive me for my tone I had with my wife the other day. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. I'm not going to get too into this, 
but further on, it basically, he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We see this clearly taught in Matthew 18, right, where the king relieves the debt of this guy that that was impossible for him to pay back. And then he goes and finds a fellow servant that basically owes him nothing. And he grabs him by the neck. Pay me what you owe me. I want my debt paid now or I'm throwing you in prison. Let me say it this way to you. Listen to how he says it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, if you are truly a believer, if you've truly been broken by God, if you truly understand how much you've been forgiven, that's natural. You see that? that that's a natural alpha. Father, forgive me of my debts as I forgive those who. It's natural. It's a natural outworking of faith that you profess to have in Christ, that you have an understanding of how much I've been forgiven doesn't mean we don't struggle with that doesn't mean we don't have to work through it i've had to work through it many times but at the end of the day isaiah 53 is always there in my mind he was wounded for your transgressions jeff it was your sin he took upon himself he was mocked because of you he was spit on because of you jeff He didn't open his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He forgave. Jeff, love so-and-so like I've loved you. Yes, Lord. You're right. You're right, Lord. That should be in the heart of a true believer. At the end of the day, again, I understand. We, we, gotta, we struggle. We've got to work through that. That's why this prayer is good. To like really meditate over. Jesus covers it all in here. You see, it's a natural outflow. And then he he says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I want to just make it clear right off the bat, God does not tempt us to sin. It's not what this is saying, okay? James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. He tries us for our sanctification, for our holiness, for our purification, but he never tempts us to sin. But here's the promise of 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will always also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Stand up under it. Have the strength, have the grace to resist it so you don't fall into sin. That's a promise from God. So really what it's saying, Lord, don't let me be tempted to where I'll fall into sin. Don't lead me into temptation, Lord. Don't allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able. Then just pray this back to him. <laughs> Lord, you said. You said you won't. So God, I'm going to believe you today for that. It says in Matthew 4, 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. To be tempted by who? The devil. 
but he was led. But he overcame. He had a way of escape, and it was the word of God. We have a way of escape. And deliver us from evil. That includes not only Satan, you know, we think of evil, yeah, the devil, but the evil in our own hearts, the evil in this world. God, deliver me from evil. When we pray this prayer, we're really saying, Lord, I don't want anything coming between our fellowship. Search and try me. See, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me. See if I've allowed the devil to have access into my life. Or I'm taking his lure and going after what he's enticing me with. Or I have thoughts, Lord, that I've been entertaining. God, deliver me. Deliver me, Lord. In Psalm 34, the promise in verse 17 is, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. He hears. He delivers them out of all their troubles. In other words, your heavenly Father hears your cry. He knows how to deliver you. I stand here free for 28 years by the grace of God. And because I've learned how to cry out in the midnight hour. It's just His grace, people. And if you want to be kept, He will keep you. I promise you. Jude, I was going to read that whole thing, but I'll just say this. Um, We need to contend for the faith more than ever. That's what that whole thing talks about, that whole uh, book. It's one chapter. But it says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. And he goes through everything in there that we need to be doing, and he finishes it with this in verses 24 and 25. Now, to him. So, okay, you, you got all that? Now get your eyes on God, your Father in heaven. Remember who He is? And say this to yourself. (laughs) Who is able to keep me from stumbling, to present me faultless before His presence in His glory with exceeding joy? Hallelujah! To God, my Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever. Hallelujah. And Jesus finishes that way. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. What a wonderful exclamation point. You know, as he finishes how he starts. Yours is the kingdom. Father, you're reigning. Father, you have dominion. You have control over all things. You are ordering them right now according to your will. Yours is the power, Father. You have the power to accomplish what we're asking. We are weak, but you can do it. You are almighty. All things are possible with you, Father. And yours is the glory, Father. This is all about you. 
It's all about your honor. It's all about your praise. It's not our honor. It's your glory. It's your goodness that will be displayed as you provide for our needs. It's your power that will be seen when you defend us. It's your praise in causing your kingdom to spread throughout the earth through our testimony. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us how to pray. Thank you, Lord. I do thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us to ourselves. You gave us a helper. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. You've given us your word, and you're still instructing us to this day. You are faithful. Thank you, my Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord, that after this, all of us will see this prayer differently. And I'm just going to close here and pray this prayer. And I'm really hoping now it'll mean a little something different to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord. Yes, even so, Jesus, come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, God, in me, in your church, Lord, let it be done so that you're truly glorified. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, help us to live independence on you. Help us to know where to look, who we should seek, who we need to trust, who we need to hope in. And forgive us, Lord, of our debts. Help us to always be mindful, Lord, of our own sin and the logs in our own eyes, Lord, so that we can see clearly to help others, Lord. Forgive us our debts, Lord, as we just, of course, forgive anyone, especially those that persecute us for righteousness' sake, Lord, especially when we're hated and spoken evil about and all kinds of things done to us. Lord, help us to forgive as you, or we choose, really, it's Yes, we will, Lord, because you've forgiven us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. I thank you. you. Your promise is you won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. I thank you, Lord. And deliver us from the evil one. Not just the devil, Lord, but the evil in our own hearts, the evil of this world. Deliver us, Lord. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.